Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Borderlands Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? Nothing much. Ready to talk about Penn State football? Uh, yeah, so what we're doing is we're wrapping up. We're, we're doing our season wrap-up pods. We're, we're in the most wonderful time of the year, which is the college football season's over. Congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs, I guess, uh, on you know just your general nonsense and state of being. Uh, we are not going to talk about Georgia, though, even though I think Nick and I would probably prefer to talk about Georgia because they were a fun football team to watch. We're instead going to talk about Penn State. We're breaking this up into three podcasts. The first one, the one that we're going to do tonight, we're going to be focused on Penn State's offense, uh, going through the position groups, going through the personnel, going through the coaches, that sort of thing. Second episode, we're going to be doing Penn State's defense. That will come next week. And then the week after that, just a general season wrap-up and using that as a springboard to talk about the 2022 season. Uh, But of course, we're here to talk about Penn State's offense. Uh, Nittany Lions went into this season with a ton of hype around uh, the returning duo of Sean Clifford and Jahan Dotson, a running game that had a lot of talent, a tight end room that had a lot of talent, a brand new offensive coordinator uh, in Mike Yurcich, who came with quite the pedigree of being a guy who was able to get offenses to a point where they are going to move the ball a lot, score a lot of points, not just rely too heavily on one thing or another. And then, oh my God, Nick. Bad. Yeah. I, I, yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a really, and we're going to talk about this. It's a really weird place overall that I feel like most Penn State fans are in because on the one hand, I feel like, Nobody has nobody seems to have really lost much faith necessarily in Mike Yersich, but the I, I I don't know anybody who is a Penn State fan who would say that the offense this year was really acceptable. It's a it's a weird spot. I I'm inclined to agree on that, and that's going to get like we will talk a little more about Yersich later because there's one question that I've had kind of hanging over him. And I think that's going to color a lot of this conversation, but I want to be able to have the conversation when we talk about uh, the guys in the field first. Before we get to that, just what are your general thoughts, Nick, on what we saw out of a Penn State offense that ended this season uh, 69th in offensive SP+. Plus. They were middle of the road in the Big Ten in total offense, uh, top uh, fourth in passing offense, second to last in rushing offense and lower middle of the conference in scoring offense. So I, it's kind of a tale of, I don't want to say like a half a season. It's We could call it a tale of two seasons because it really, there's the offense before Sean Clifford got hurt and there's the offense after Sean Clifford got hurt, right? Like before he, and, but it's also not that simple right? because even before he got hurt, there wasn't a run game. There wasn't anything resembling a remotely helpful run game aside from like maybe a drive against Auburn. Um, but there's no denying that the, you know, the Clifford injury really just threw everything, everything out of whack. He wasn't the same guy afterwards. Uh, but, you know, then again, it's also possible that that same result would have happened anyway, considering the difficulty of the teams generally ramped up after that. And I know we, you know, Penn State beat Wisconsin, but it's not like Clifford was good in that game. It's not like Penn State won handily. They mainly won because Graham Mertz forgot how to play football for most of the game. Um, be, so, Nick, Nick, be nice. He forgot how to play football all season. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't choose to watch any Wisconsin after that. So Well, let me let me let me tell you, it was a lot of the same stuff. Oh, that's not surprising. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, there were flashes of good nail. Obviously, Clifford, those first four games, was very, very, or I guess five games before he got hurt? Whatever it was. Was very, very good uh, pre-injury. Kevon Lee, you know, I I really am not a Kevon Lee fan, but he had moments and stretches where he did some good things as a running back. Um, obviously, Jahan Dotson was incredible is going to go down to history as one of the all-time greats at Penn State. Parker Washington did some great things. I thought Keandre Lambert-Smith took a great step forward. But, you know, overall, just, like, that is not that is not good enough for what Penn State 
expects to be and wants to be, especially when bringing in an offensive coordinator that, you know, they kind of treat it as like their ringer, more or less. It, it wasn't just he was their ringer, Nick. To me, bringing in Mike Yurcich, like, I think they probably just wanted it. I, I think the hope, I'll say I think the hope, because I don't want to say anything else. The hope is that you got your next Joe Moore. You got your next guy who has a an established track record of being a very good offensive mind and someone who is going to do really special things with the group that he had. And we'll talk about some of the stuff that he did and some of the things I think he was good. But when you look at this Penn State offense, the big thing to me, we're going to – I agree with you. The Clifford getting hurt against Iowa was a bit of a dividing line. Here was Clifford in the games leading up to that. Against Wisconsin, 18 for 33, 247 yards, one touchdown. Again, I'm going to filter out uh, Ball State and – uh, and Villanova just because lower levels of competition. Auburn, 28 for 32, 280 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Indiana, 17 for 33, 178 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. Iowa, 15 for 25, 146 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. I I almost think that when you do the dividing line being Iowa, the big it, it's very easy to point to Sean Clifford and say he was great, he was doing this, he was doing that. What I think they were doing so well in the lead-up to when that Iowa game happened was they weren't asking Clifford to do a ton. He didn't have a ton of support in the running game. I Noah Kane ran for six yards uh, per carry against Wisconsin. Uh, nobody really got off the ground against Auburn. Clifford just had a very good game there against Indiana. Kayvon Wee, 8 for 74. Clifford, 10 for 58. John Lovett, 10 for 41. Sean Clifford uh, had 3 for 36 against Iowa before he went, got hurt. The running game wasn't good. The passing game wasn't exceptional. But both of them, I think, existed in places where, like, the fact that you had a quarterback who could move a little bit was something that really helped them. And they just lost that going down the stretch. Like, Clifford stopped looking like the guy who was just in total control of what was happening, even if he wasn't playing on that, uh, you know, that C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young level. He just looked like he was in control of what was happening around him. He gets hurt. He can't move. Things just tend to fall apart. And I think that is a good lead in to what we're going to do when we go through the positional groups. We're going to look at each room individually. and We're starting with quarterback. I actually don't think this is going to be too tough or long of a conversation, Nick. I think the conversation that we will have about Clifford is very important. But when you look at the Sean Clifford of this season, I think you're looking at a guy who didn't put up super crazy gaudy numbers or anything like that. I think he was fine. 261 for 428, 61% completions, 3,107 yards, 21 touchdowns, eight interceptions uh, with 99 carries, 163 yards and two scores on the ground. I think he was an okay quarterback. I think Penn State needs a lot better than an okay quarterback. I think when you have an okay quarterback, you get a seven and six record in the fourth, number four in the Big Ten East. But at the same time, I don't think he was the problem with the offense this year. Would you agree with all of that? Are there any areas that you would quibble with? Where do you come down on the quarterback room this season? No, I very much agree with what you said. I mean, they. Like you said, Mike Yursich designed that offense to play in a way where Sean Clifford did not have to be C.J. Stroud in order for it to function at a high level. All he had to do was make the, you know, the easy passes, and that was really it. He just had to make easy passes and not make back-breaking mistakes, which that's that's what he did until the injury. Um, even in that Iowa game, like yeah, those those two turnovers, those two interceptions hurt, but the first one. I, I fully believe would have been a perfectly harmless throwaway had his leg not got not gotten swept out from underneath him. And the second one, yeah, I, I mean it was a not a great decision, but it was an arm punt more or less. So you know whatever. It's 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 just once he like you said once he lost his ability to scramble effectively and to run the ball effectively, I think that just 
has such a mental impact on him. And it's something that we heard a lot last year. We heard, God forbid, every time Matt Mellon was on a broadcast, you heard him say, yeah, this guy needs to get hit three or four times before he really gets in a groove, which while being one of the more frustrating things I've ever heard an announcer say, <laughs> it's it's not like it, I, I guess he's not totally off base, but it it's not that he needs to be hit to get like knocked into the game. It's that he has to be running the football in order to help make lessen the load of the decision making. It's a lot easier to make good decisions when defenses have to account for your ability to take off from the pocket, even if he is somebody who does still take off from the pocket too soon now and again. Now and again, that's not going to hurt you as long as you can make good decisions when they're available to you. And once he lost the ability to run the ball effectively like that, it just you know it could tell you could tell that it screwed with his head, and you could tell that it screwed with his own uh, perception of what he could and couldn't do. We saw him start to force a few more passes here and there. He missed a few passes. And, you know, that's that's the other effect of the injury is that, one, it zaps his ability to run the ball as much, but it also affects just how he moves into the pocket, how he steps into his throws, how well, well he's able to rotate, all that jazz. Um, so, I, yeah, it's he's I think he's a really, really mental a, a really focused mental guy when there's anything that kind of throws off, throws off that mental focus for him. It has a big impact. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned it, uh, mentioned this because I think that it could be a bit of a narrative that once Clifford went down against Iowa, he lost the ability to run and that's not wrong, but you, your second part was all, was what I think bigger. He didn't just lose the ability to run. He lost the ability to move all that effectively. We still don't know exactly what happened with him, but Sean Clifford has this thing about him early in the season where because he wasn't getting sped up all that easily, he was able to move around and maneuver the pocket and maneuver and, you know, avoid a pass rush and give his wide receivers that extra half second, extra second to be able to get open. And that's when he would find them. And he just seemed comfortable in that situation. I, I think on the year, you know, we'll get we'll give Gray a grade for the offense out in a bit. I think he was a when you just look at him directly, I think he was probably like a B to a B minus when you consider what they needed him to be, and you want to grade him on that curve. I think it might get a little bit harsh. The one check mark, the one really positive thing I will say here is that Mike Yurcich, the position coach Mike Yurcich. He was hired for two reasons. One, coordinate the offense, obviously, but two, to get this quarterback room in line. And I think we saw that he did enough with Sean Clifford that I'm willing to give him, again, not an A or anything like that. I'm willing to give him an okay mark there. When you look a little farther down the room, because, um, you know, the position group isn't just the starter – We'll talk briefly about these guys. Uh, Taquan Roberson has since entered the portal. Christian Bay, you looked nice. That had a nice game when he came in against Rutgers. Didn't look very good against Arkansas in the Outback Bowl. I, when I think of the depth of this room and how the depth looked, I mean, it's a thing that we've touched on, Nick. Like, those guys were not in positions to succeed when if their number was called early on in the season. But I also, like think that's more the nature of having a third offensive coordinator and third quarterbacks coach in three years above everything else. And you just need to get Clifford up to speed above everything else. Yeah. And we, we talked about it. It's, you know, they, they made before the season, even we talked about this, they made, they made that gamble. They said, you know, we're going to put all our eggs in the Sean Clifford basket. I don't doubt that they looked into the transfer portal as well, but you know, there were not a lot of obvious fits um, and obviously we're, we are not on the coaching staff. We don't know exactly what they're looking for, but even from our vantage point, there were not a lot of obvious fits. Like, like there would be this off season. If they were looking for a transfer quarterback right now, they'd be in solid shape. Um, but they, you know, they clearly made the decision to just allocate as many resources as possible to Clifford. And I believe they even went on the record saying as such. And it's, it's, it was just unfortunate timing. Like, like you said, with a third offensive coordinator in three years, you kind of have to do that if you want to compete at the highest level, which I, I think was the right decision given where the Penn State roster was heading into this season. I think it was the right call to just put it all on the line and hope everyone stays healthy. Um, but, you know, if you look at any other previous, what, like any other season in the last, like, 10 years, like if Clifford had gone, if there were the equivalent of Clifford had gone down, 
they would have been totally fine. They would have had a more capable backup there. It's just unfortunate the way that it happened this year with two guys that were not ready, really not not at any fault to their own. It's I mean, Taquan Roberson was a redshirt freshman, but his redshirt season was 2020. And we know how um, we know how strict Penn State was in following all the laid out COVID guidelines. I'm sure practice in 2020 was just nothing even close to the norm. Um, and then obviously we you know, didn't they gave as many reps as possible to Clifford going into this 2021 season. So neither of their faults that they weren't there. And Taquan Roberson, man, that kid had to come in in a game in Kinnick with all the momentum. I would just scored a touchdown he comes into the game they see number two trotting onto the field instead of number 14 like just a remarkably tough situation yeah you'd hope that he is able to be loud enough for the offensive offensive line to hear his cadence but just a brutal situation for him and i, I feel bad for the kid i hope he goes on to have a great yeah. career at uh what yukon is where he yep. went yep uh go huskies yeah. yeah i hope he has a great career there um but yeah it's is it was an a really unfortunate combination of things that was honestly just just really unavoidable yeah and then you know i thought Bayou was nice when he got in there he showed some stuff like i'm, I'm not gonna sit here and say uh the freshman who hasn't played quarterback since 2019 like with the world on fire i think all things considered he did a did a nice job when he got in but uh, i think you know hopefully he sticks around long term and is able to at the very least compete uh, for a starting job going forward. Uh, let's move to the running backs because uh, here's a conversation I don't know if any of us uh, are going to have fun having. Uh, Penn State's top rusher was Kayvon Lee, 108 carries, 530 yards, two touchdowns, 4.9 yards per carry. Right behind him was uh, Noah Kane, who was announced today is going to enter the transfer portal, 106, 353.3 yards per carry and four scores. Uh, John Lovett behind them, 52 carries, 177 yards, 3.4 yards per carry, no touchdowns. Devin Ford, 1461, 4.4 yards per carry, no scores. Uh, in the passing game, Lee and Kane both contributed a bit. Uh, both of them were above uh, 15 receptions and 100 yards. Wabit had uh, nine catches for 36 yards and four and three for 18. Uh, I don't think, Nick, it's a stretch to say, one, this is a very disappointing group. Two, they were disappointing for factors that were mostly out of their control. Uh, and three, when you consider the hype they came into this season with, I think it has the potential to be a long off season in that running back room because I don't, I don't, I can't imagine anyone is going to be happy with what they put on the field. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, I mean, just kind of going down the list, like Kevin Lee, he showed flashes, he did some nice things, but overall, for me, he's not, he's not a starting running back in my opinion. He's not a game changer. He he's able to i think mostly just out of surprise because people he's not that fast and he doesn't appear to be that elusive and he pulls off a nice little sidestep once in a while and is able to get some extra yards i think it's mostly just due to the shock and awe factor that he's able to do that um but for me he's just somebody who i i just i want to see that dude just run downhill and he just doesn't he doesn't do it he, he shows i haven't seen the awareness that i want to see from him he had that fiasco with not knowing where the first down was all that stuff um Noah Kane, it's a bummer. I just don't think the dude is, was fully healthy at any point and maybe never quite will be again. Um, he's just not going to be that guy that we saw in 2019 anymore, I would I would think. John Lovett yeah, had a lot of really frustrating moments, but then again, he was also brought in to be a fourth or fifth string back, and I think he ended up playing a lot more than was uh, was anybody's plan, honestly. Devin Ford... I mean, I, if I remember correctly, Devin Ford, was was he hurt? He was hurt for like four or five games. He just didn't play in other ones. I don't really know what was going on there. He, I thought he looked halfway decent when he actually did get a chance to run the ball this yeah, year. Yeah, same here. Um, and from what I remember, I, I believe he put in had put in some solid reps in terms of pass protection too. And so that, that, that one continues to be a little confusing to me. And yeah. I want I he's somebody I expected to jump into the portal pretty soon after the season. The fact that he hasn't yet is interesting. Not that there's any sort of you know firm timeline of when you have to go in the portal or anything, but um, that's interesting. And then yeah, I mean, Kaziah Holmes non-factor, disappointing in my opinion. I, 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 I it, it has to be a redshirt year. 
I I assume so. I mean, the the kid's got juice. He's he's probably the fastest guy in the running back. Well, won't be anymore. But one, he was the fastest guy in the running back room. Um, so, yeah, that that one is almost weirder to me than Devin Ford was. I I really expected Keziah Holmes to have a role this year, but now overall, I just don't think any of these running backs are game changers and i think they are bringing in two game changers in this recruiting class and i i don't think i'm sure there will still be a role for Kevon lee next year but i wouldn't be surprised if the two freshmen are one two on that on that depth chart yeah I, it's a point that we've made on this pod seemingly dozens of times like there's talent in this running back room but they lack that number one clear-cut guy who I don't want to say ties it all together, uh, but is able to make it so you can use Kayvon Lee in a few more situations. You can use uh, a few more situations that make sense. Same with any other, you know, Noah King's the other guy I was going to mention. He's obviously not going to be around uh, beyond this season. Uh, There was the weird insistence on running, on getting that balance with running the ball that also uh, they ignored during the bowl. Like it it was just a weird year for Penn State's running game in general. Um, I think that, you know, least controversial take in the world, if Penn State wants to be able to have any sort of sustained success on the offensive side of the football, they, they need to figure that out. Like, that has to be thing number one that they try to address this offseason. They have to figure out how they can run the football with some level of consistency. This is a Penn State offense that last season was fifth in the Big Ten in rushing yards per game. They were at 174.3 yards per game. This year, they were at 107.8. And uh, again, we'll get to the offensive line. That was probably the biggest problem on offense this season. But when the running backs had little opportunities to do something, they are just a bunch of guys who... While they are talented, while there are things that are good, they lack that last little bit of something that this room really is going to need. And, you know, fingers crossed that Nick Singleton and Katron Allen are able to provide that. There's also a lot to put on true freshmen, unfortunately, like these are not normal true freshmen. Uh, Let's move to a far happier position, Nick, which is Penn State's wide receiver room. Obviously, it's going to look quite different next year with Jahan Dotson leaving town. 91 receptions, 1,182 yards. 12 touchdowns, but while there wasn't a ton of production behind him, the two guys who were carryovers in terms of getting a lot of snaps, Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert-Smith, the former 64, 824 touchdowns, the latter 34, 521, three touchdowns. I think they are, this wide receiver room, in terms of its top three guys were, you know, not as fun as the Chris Godwin, Deshaun Hamilton year, but they were a really fun group to watch. Yeah, it it was it was a really really entertaining trail all year long. I it's it's such a luxury to have both Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington on the same offense because those are both guys that you can literally put in any any possible wide receiver alignment and they're going to be able to torment whoever is up against them. That's such a fun combination. And I am really looking forward to what Parker Washington does next year as an encore to what I I don't necessarily want to call this a breakout year. I think he kind of broke out as a freshman, but um, I I'm really excited to see what he does with a little extra attention from his offense. Um, But yeah, Jahan Dotson just, just a remarkable talent. I mean, easily one of the top five receivers in Penn State history, which unlike other positions, that that's saying quite a bit. They've had some incredibly talented football players there. And it's like he really does have like he really does have a little bit of pretty much every big name receiver that's come before him in his game. Like he truly is a meld of all of them. And he just, he does so many amazing things as a football player. He's going to play in the NFL for a long, long time. And Penn state's Penn state's really going to miss him. Um, but like you said, Parker Washington, great this year. I thought Keandre Lam- Lambert Smith was awesome. Uh, he did have a couple drops here and there, but important to remember, he's only, you know, he's still only a sophomore. Like he's somebody that's going to continue getting better just like Washington is and Washington will. Um, aside from that, I mean, Malik Mega, we saw him a little bit towards the end of the season. Obviously, had that 
Uh, I don't remember how long that one touchdown was where he was wide open, but you 67 can, yards, 67. You can see why the coaching staff likes him. Like he has the size. He has the speed. I hope he continues to unlock that, but um, it's, it's a, it was a really fun group to watch this year. And while looking quickly glancing ahead to next year, obviously Dotson's going to be missed, but I'm also really interested to see what happens with the new, Washington Lambert Smith and Mitchell Tinsley combination as well. I'm I'm inclined to agree with that, and I also think that when you look at the wide receiver room, you look at the guys who caught passes who play wide receiver, uh, but aren't those top three? Malik Mega three for seventy eight didn't really get a chance to start playing until the very end of the season. Cam Sullivan Brown four for forty four. You know he's played a lot of football here. I think we can all agree that like he's given a lot to this university, but. You know, just isn't that kind of game-changing guy who's able to consider uh, – I, I believe injuries have also uh, really hampered him. But not the kind of guy who uh, is going to be out there every single snap and giving you the kind of production you want out of a wide receiver of that level. Uh, Marquise Wilson, convert, convert, played a little bit of wide receiver. Maybe he's going to back the defensive, uh, defensive back. We don't know. And then Winston Eubanks caught one ball for two yards. I just read every wide receiver who caught a pass for Penn State this season. And then – you look at what Penn State is going to have a wide receiver next year. There's going to be Tinsley, Washington, Lambert Smith, Jaden Dotton, Malik Mega, Liam Clifford, and Harrison Wallace after getting a chance to sit and learn these this last year. And then the talent that they have coming in in this recruiting class, there's a lot of it there. Again, we'll focus on that a little bit farther down the road, but I think, you know, to tie that back to this year's team, they had a top three this year, and they had a defined one, defined two, defined three, but it really fell off after that. And I think for how exciting it was watching this wide receiver room this past year, it lacked depth. And I think that that's something that they've done a good job building for the next couple of years. But having said that, the guys at the top this year, I don't think you could have asked for a lot more of them. I I would bet if we were able to get our hands on some all-22 footage – the stuff we'd see them doing down the field was going to be very impressive. Uh, and it just has to do with uh, the various weird stuff that we've seen in Penn State's passing offense that uh, they uh, weren't able to really get Washington, Lambert, Smith, whatever, really, really cooking uh, alongside of Dotson. They had to rely on him so much. Uh, thing that would help is tight end play it is a little more consistent. Uh, you look at what Penn State had at the tight end position, uh, the Nittany Lions. That was a room that came in with a lot of hype. Uh, Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, a pair of guys who did some really interesting things were in, in stretches last season. And then Tyler Warren, uh, you know, kind of this big question mark that uh, seemed to fascinate everyone. Those were the three guys who played the most, Nick. Um, it's... I, I, how do I want to say this? I think Penn State in its wide in its tight end room has a guy in Brenton Strange, 20 catches, 225 yards, three touchdowns. Theo Johnson, 19, 213, one. Tyler Warren, 561, one. You look at those. I think those first two are basically jumbo receivers. Uh, I think of something that our pal Kyle Boone of Pistols Firing told me. Uh, when I asked him about Mike Yurisich, I said, how does he use his tight ends? Uh, and he said he doesn't. And I think my big thing is I just want to see Penn State use them as big wide receivers more because it felt like there was this weird in-between point with them where their skill sets generally say we're going to have them be matchup threats down the field. But Penn State's offense functioned in such a way that they were extra linemen. And I just don't know if that is playing to their strengths as much as I'd like them to. I'd like to see. Yeah, I really liked the sets where they would use kind of they would use that those uh, stack formations on both sides of the field where it'd be uh, a tight end in front and a receiver lined up right behind them, and they'd run a different a few different variations out of that. It'd either be that quick little bubble screen with the tight end blocking, or it'd be kind of a delay route and both would go, or the tight or the wide receiver would stay and the tight end would fake a block and then cut up field. I know we saw some big plays against uh, against Auburn out of that exact set to Theo Johnson. That that's how I want to see them continue to be used. Like you said, just as big receivers. Like I, Theo Johnson and Brenton Strange, while I think are both are both perfectly adequate blockers. I really don't have too many complaints about what they did aside from a few plays here and there. 
but that's not where their skill sets fit best. Um, as far as how they performed this year, I thought they were good, not great. Brenton Strange had a couple really, really important drops that really hurt the team at some key times, specifically thinking back to the Iowa game. Um, he had a chance to make a make a first down catch for Taquan Roberson that I think really would have made a difference because as we saw against the Iowa game, Taquan Roberson, once he had, once he had a chance to like get out of his own his own 20 on his side of the field, they actually did perfectly fine moving the ball on that one drive, but uh, robbing them of that first down opportunity was a big, a big hamper there. Theo Johnson, you know, uh, I, I think his best football is still very much ahead of him. I think he has some really monster mm-hmm. years in store still. Uh, so I, you know, I, it's, it's fine. I mean, this was his first year really being on the field, so it's fine. It's like, this was a fine, I thought it was fine overall from the tight ends, just not what we've been used to in the last couple of years. Um, though I do think Theo Johnson could change that pretty quickly next season. What, what do you, I, I agree with all that. Uh, what, what do you think about Tyler Ward? Uh, because he's a guy who I think one of two things are going to happen. Either one, they're going to try and have him be the most quote unquote traditional of all the guys in the tight end room. Uh, and I just don't know how much I like, like I, I think I like that probably more than the alternative, which is they're basically going to try and have him be Will Levis, uh, and, not Will Levis, uh, Tommy Stevens. And they just do weird cutesy stuff with him. And I just don't love that, especially because I think when you look at him as uh, just an athlete and what he can do uh, when he kind of, focuses on doing one thing. Uh, dude is six foot six, 252 pounds. He has a little bit of nastiness to him. I think if they have him in a position where he's working as kind of your standard tight end and you're developing him in that way, I think it's a good thing. If you're doing it in the weird thing where like, he's a quarterback, he's this, he's that, he's doing all this fun stuff. I think that's just a disservice to that kid. So what, what do you think about Tyler Warren? I mean, I, I don't, I don't mind him getting those occasional wildcat snaps. I mean, it's fine. In general, I would prefer that that not be what Penn State has to resort to on fourth and short, third and short. So I, I think that's necess- I think that's a bigger issue. I, I think if Penn State had a more functional run game and if Sean Clifford hadn't been hobbled, then I don't think we see that package nearly as much necessarily. Um, but I, I was really impressed by what we saw from Tyler Warren just as a natural receiver in the open field. Same. I mean, he only had those five catches, but I, I thought he looked pretty good going up and getting the football. And we saw some good things from him in the blocking game. So yeah, I, I have zero issue with him focusing on just, you know, actually being a tight end going forward. I, I don't, I mean, if they wanted, if they want to do some of that kitsy stuff, fine. And honestly, I would, pre- if they're going to do that, I would prefer him be on the field more just so it's not an obvious giveaway every time he's on the field that something funky is about to happen. Um, but I, 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 I was really impressed with what I saw from Tyler Warren. And honestly, it wouldn't like he could very easily be the most talented all around tight end on the roster right now when you include all you know the traditional responsibilities of a tight end. Does that matter? No. Like Theo Johnson can be a fantastic receiver in a tight end's body and still be an overall better football player. But I think Tyler Warren was really impressive. And I, yeah, I, like I said, QC stuff, you know, whatever. If you're going to do it, do it. But don't let that take away from figuring out more about what he can just do as a receiving target. And I think a big thing to that, that would help this tight end room was would be if Penn State's five guys could block the other team's four guys or five guys. And that brings us to the offensive line. Uh, Left to right this season, the uh, group that Penn State threw out there, um, Rasheed Walker uh, at left tackle, Eric Wilson at left guard, Mike Miranda at center, Juice Scruggs at right guard, Caden Wallace at right tackle. They didn't do a ton of rotation. Uh, Bryce Effner got some pop-up minutes here and there. Anthony Wigan uh, would slide in every now and then. They would move around Scruggs 
and Miranda, you know, towards the end of the year, we saw Landon Tangwall get a little bit more run. We saw uh, uh, Olufashanu get a little bit of run at tackle in the bowl game, and I thought it looked pretty good. Uh, I believe it was reported that uh, Salim Wormley was written in uh, pencil to start at left guard, got hurt, didn't play this season, and as a result, Penn State had to resort uh, to Wilson playing there. And I say all that to say that this night. What you just heard was me go through Penn State's offensive line and then go through, you know, five or six things that kind of go on there as other things they tried or other things they want to do, blah, 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 blah. And I think that illustrates really well the fact that Penn State's offensive line was not good and Penn State was desperate to get just something going there. And they really struggled to get that something with any sort of consistency. Yeah. On the whole, the pass blocking was still better than the run blocking, especially early on in the season. The pass blocking was quite good um, with, you know, Auburn. The Auburn game was really the, like, that should be on all all five of those guys' highlight tape because that was probably the one of the better pass blocking games I've seen from my Penn State offensive line, um, all things considered, considering the opponent, considering the group, all that stuff. But overall, this just so much, so much talent on that offensive line, so much just raw talent that just never put it together. Rasheed Walker, man, I, I, I hope, I hope he goes on to have a fantastic NFL career, but this season was a very clear and obvious step back from where he was in 2020. Uh, Eric Wilson, you know, I, he was mostly fine. I think he didn't do anything outstanding, but I, I didn't see him make as many backbreaking mistakes as say Mike Miranda. I think the Mike Miranda at center experiment was just a complete and total failure. Uh, I thought the kid was perfectly fine at guard in 2020, but in 2021 at center, I don't think he got the job done, and I, that's a. I think that's a lot tougher of a transition than people give it credit for, moving to center and playing center. But just so many guys leaking through the middle of the offensive line, no push from the middle of the offensive line in the run game. Just not not a good season for him. Um, I mean, and then the whole rights. I mean, <laughs> the whole really the, just the entire offensive line. Just it wasn't what. Penn State needed to see. Juice Scruggs was fine for the most part. I, I thought he actually looked a little better at center than he did at guard. Ken Wallace was really disappointing after a strong freshman debut. My big takeaway from the season is I they must really they must really have wanted Landon Tengwall to keep that red shirt that I believe he did because I think he was probably the best offensive lineman I saw this year for Penn State. I I think I would agree with you on that. Um, I, I, I and this knew, is not yeah. because one of my bold predictions before the season was that Landon Tengwall would be a starter by the end. I mean, he could have been pretty. Like I think when you look at the performance from guys, uh, he he yeah. very much earned a earned a starting job. I mean, you went you went left to right. I mean, I I think every issue they had starts in the middle of their line. I mean, I just don't think. I just don't know if Mike Miranda and Eric Wilson had the level of physicality, the level of nastiness, the strength, that kind of stuff that you need in order to have those kinds of guys be your interior offensive line. I mean, how many times did we see quotes talking about how much of a mauler Mike Miranda was? I didn't see that on a single play this year, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I feel you, you look at, I, I feel bad for Wilson because he was, he literally had not played a football game since 2019 and he got thrown into yeah. being a starter in the big 10. And you look at him, you look at Miranda who, uh, like you mentioned, he just seemed more comfortable at guard. Uh, Scruggs, I think is a nice player. And he's one of the guys who, uh, when we look towards this at this line going forward, he's a guy who I'm happy is going to be around. Look at the tackles. I think Rasheed Walker, I think he was okay, but way like I yeah, he was okay, but like it, it kind of goes back to the Clifford thing. When you consider who he is, how much football he's played, what they needed him to be, that's not good enough. Then Kane Wallace is a guard playing tackle. And I think that 
I think that you probably, I don't want to say have to fire Phil Troutwine, don't have to do anything like that, but you have to figure out how you're going to shake things up on this offensive line. Because, you know, another thing that we meant, we have mentioned on this podcast is that in addition to three offensive coordinators in three years, that like everything starts up front. And if you're changing up your approach on offense, you are inherently changing up how things are going to go with your offensive line. And there is no unit that needs continuity more than them. So I like, in a way, I think having that second year of Mike Yurcich and another year of Phil Troutwine together is going to be pretty good for them. Uh, I think that, shuffling some dudes around and getting guys in the different positions is going to be good for them. I think that we saw enough out of Landon Tengwall and uh, Olu Fashanu in the bowl game that we can go, okay, there's something here. There's something with Juice Scruggs. Prop, like, I would rather they kick Sully, uh, Caden Wallace in and have someone else at tackle, but if they don't have that, they go Caden Wallace and, say, a Salim Warmly at guard or something like that. Okay, you're you're squinting and seeing an offensive line, Nick. But what when we get to talking about Mike Yurcich in a second, we talk about kind of the broad strokes of this offense, and you really think of how we talked about every single unit other than wide receiver. I think you can argue the fact that Penn State's offensive line wasn't good enough colors every single aspect of what this offense was this season. Yeah, totally. I, you know, with better protection than maybe Clifford's injury doesn't hamper him as much with better run blocking than the lack of a, like a true alpha dog dynamite running back is hidden a little more. Uh, the tight ends aren't forced to block as much, all those things. It all starts up front. Like you mentioned, it's the change, constant change of the offense coordinator, I think does make a big difference. I've, I've kind of been wondering aloud all year what the impact of going from an RPO heavy attack to a more traditional looking one, what, what that really does to the offensive line, where now you're not in a position where any play could be a run or a pass. And, you know, it, they blocked like they blocked, like it made a difference because they blocked the pass blocking was fine because on those RPO plays, you, you can't be going too far upfield because you're going to get an ineligible man downfield if you throw the ball, but they had no push in the run game. And that's, you know, those things in my, I like, I don't have this deep understanding of offensive line, but that seems to be have some sort of connection to me. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it all starts up front. It all, you know, as Richard Johnson on split zone, split zone duo likes to say, it's a game of blocking and tackling. And when you can't block, you can't do much else. Yeah. And I, I there, the other thing that really, like really illustrates all this is that I don't know if there was an offensive line in the country where, more frequently the ball would be snapped and then one guy just has no idea who he is supposed to block than it's Penn State one. I, it, again, it goes to the stuff with continuity and it goes to the stuff with, uh, you know, kind of the revolving door that we've seen. It just seemed like something as basic as communication and knowing what you have to do was lacking. And that's why I, like, I don't think – I don't besmirch anyone who says Penn State should consider moving on from Phil Troutline, but it's also basically why I think continuity is going to be a good thing for this group, as well as getting in some fresh blood, some guys who uh, a little more physically imposing, that sort of thing. So I like, I, I I think that offensive line is going like that's the thing. That is the thing above all else that I think is really going to determine how, what Penn State's offense does next season because. Otherwise, there was there were flashes everywhere else that I was really impressed by, even if they were not consistent enough. Uh, and that applies for Mike Yersich. And this is going to be uh, kind of the last big thing we get before we do a couple quick hitters to end this podcast, which is, what are your thoughts on Mike Yersich, Nick? And the job that he did as Penn State's offensive coordinator. And before you answer that, I'm going to read some stuff to you. Last season, Penn State had Kirk Shiraka, and they decided that after nine games, 430.3 yards per game, 256 passing yards per game, 174.3 rushing yards per game, 29.8 points per game wasn't good enough. And they brought in a guy whose offense had 376.4 yards per game, 
268.5 passing yards per game, 170.8 rushing yards per game, and 24.8 points per game. Last season, Penn State ran in nine games for more rushing yards than Penn State's offense did this year in 13 games. In terms of points scored, Penn State in nine games scored 268 last year. They scored 323 this year. I was fine with moving on from Kirk Sharaka and bringing in Mike Yurcich. I am still fine with that decision. And I still generally trust Mike Yurcich. But when you hear that stuff and you think of what Penn State's offense was and what both in 2020 and this season, do you think Mike Yurcich should come under more scrutiny for what we saw out of the Nittany Lion offense this year? If everything that I just said about 2020 was eventually determined to be not good enough. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first point I'll say, I, I don't think I don't think Shiraka was let go because of a, a lackluster offense as much as it was just Yurcich was the guy that wanted all along, but we've talked about that, so I'm not going to dive too far into that. Um, it's, it's a really weird question, right? Because it, it doesn't seem like, like from our impressions and the flashes we saw, it doesn't seem like he should be somebody whose job is in any sort of jeopardy at all. And to be clear, it's not like they're Mike Yersich is in. I don't right. think if it would have taken like a complete disaster. If I could just clarify it, I'm not yeah. saying that his job's in any jeopardy at all. I don't think I, I don't want it to be taken that way. I'm saying, is it weird that he has more or less seemed to skirt criticism for what we saw out of Penn State's offense this year? Yeah, I, I do think it's a little odd. I mean, it's there are a lot of things that he can't control on the one hand, right? Like he can't control Sean Clifford's injury. He has some control, I guess, over the offensive line struggles. I mean, he is the offensive coordinator, but, you know, then again, one thing I forgot to mention before when we're talking about Phil Troutwine, it's also important to remember that, you know, Landon Tengwall is the only guy that played this year along the offensive line that is somebody that Phil Troutwine actually picked to play on his offensive line and recruited. So, you know, obviously we'll have to see what happens there as more of his guys actually get in. I, it's, I think that it is totally valid to criticize Yersich for not adjusting his game plan better in certain situations, Iowa obviously being a key one, but, you know, external factors there too. It is, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's hard to describe because he, he should be under more fire than he is, I think. But at the same time, I think he's under a perfectly acceptable amount of fire because there's some things totally out of his control. Overall, I, I think that, you know, I, I still feel pretty good about, the future of Penn State's offense under his direction, um, especially if they do really open up the quarterback competition for this 2022 season, as I think they should. I I know Clifford's going to be a sixth-year guy at this point, but I don't know what you saw out of him that makes you think that he absolutely has to be the starter if Jarrell or Bo Prabula or even Christian Veyu goes out and beats him for it in the offseason. Um <sighs> I don't even know if I gave you a straight answer to this question. But I, like, I don't it's know a hard, like, it's a hard question because like this conversation hasn't happened at all. Like no person at any point has suggested that Mike Yersich deserves to come under a decent amount of criticism for this season. And to basically say my answer to this, I think that you hit the nail on the head with, the thing about Landon Tangwall. And it gets to a very broad point, which is that ever since Joe Moorhead, his final year here, Penn State has had one season. One season. Uh, wait, no. I mean, no, it, it has not happened since Joe Moorhead's last year. Penn State has not, in consecutive years, had the same offensive coordinator and quarterback since the final year of Joe Moorhead and Trace McSorley. Just think about that for a second. It went from Ricky Ronnie and Trace McSorley to Ricky Ronnie and Sean Clifford to Kirk Shiraka and Sean Clifford to Mike Yersich and Sean Clifford. And 
I think as we look back on this season and what we should have thought at the beginning of this season, one thing that we did not consider enough that we should have considered more was that was the rent was going to come due with all of that. And because there have been three guys in as many years, Penn State was going to struggle to pay it. And I think we saw that play out. I don't want to say this season was a wash because I absolutely do not think that. I think that the response to this season needs to be a very critical look at every single thing that Penn State does on offense. For example, like the bolt we heard all year long, all year, it was James Franklin's number one sticking point. Penn State needs balance. Penn State has to be able to run the football against Every single team that it plays, it has to have that element. The running game is too important to not have it work consistently, blah, 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 blah. You get to the bowl game against Arkansas, Penn State throws it 35 times. Penn State runs it 28. 12 of those 28 carries are Sean Clifford. Kayvon Lee, four carries. Noah Kane, five. Both of them average more than five yards per carry. I think you need to just be able to look at every single element of this offense. So what do we want Penn State's offense to be? And this is where I give Yurisich the pass. I don't think they've done that to the extent that they need to. And I think it was a lot of doing stuff on the fly. Now, I think he needed to figure out a better way to work behind the offensive line that he had. He needed to figure out a better way, whether it's simplifying something, running something different to get his running game going a little bit better. But... I think he doesn't get a full pass. I think, Nick, and tell me if you think this is crazy. I think his biggest issue was he was the Penn State offensive coordinator after how many years of just weird stuff happening with Penn State's offense and offensive coordinator room. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's fair. I mean, it's he is, like you said, by the way, was Jersey just drinking water in the background while you were talking? Oh, you, I, so uh, I decided I wanted to stand up, and I'm standing up right next to my dog's water bowl. And uh, Nailed I, it. I, I fed him, and then he started drinking water. So if you heard anything lapping up, that was a year-and-a-half-year-old uh, Australian Shepherd Corgi mix who, uh, who, who, who you know, doesn't have a lot of tact about him. Yeah, well, that's all right. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, it's – it is absolutely. I I totally agree that that's that's part of the reason why I agree that he deserves a pass. You know, it's I I have a really hard time believing that any offensive coordinator would have been able to put lipstick on a pig here this year for Penn State. Like it would have taken like Sean Clifford. It, maybe if Sean Clifford stays healthy the 100 healthy the entire season, maybe it looks a little bit different. But uh, it's like the what you laid out, the situation that Penn State's offense was in heading into this season, like that is that is a major factor that you're right. I don't think we discussed enough heading into this season. Um, the other thing that I will say, like as far as the the whole balance and needing balance on offense, as far as that conversation goes, I will say that I you know I think Mike Yursich is trying to call football games the way that more modern offenses in college football, but more specifically in the NFL are calling football games, which is, you know, leaning very pass heavy. And I, I think one thing that we should make clear is that, you know, balance does not mean that Penn state needs to be run for 175 yards a game and throwing like there doesn't need to be this like statistical split. It's just that you need to be able to run the ball when you choose to run the football. Like, I don't care if, Sean Clifford, whoever's playing quarterback, is throwing 50 passes a game and they're only running the ball, you know, 20 times. Like, I don't care if that's the split. As long as the running backs are able to be effective or whoever's running the football is able to actually be effective when they do choose to run it, because that's that's just what football is now. Like, if that's the offense Mike Yurcich wants to call and that he thinks can be successful, fine. But I think he did get caught you know, with his pants down, so to speak, a few times this year because that was the offense he was trying to call and it just wasn't working on a few different occasions. So I think when we talk about balance, it is important to remember um, that it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean a statistical balance. It means 
having the ability to be statistically balanced if you choose to do so. Yeah, am I like it, I think we're also not we, we I haven't gotten a good enough answer to what about the guy above Mike Yersich? What about James Franklin? How much of this offense is James Franklin saying I want it to be this and how much of it is Mike Yersich doing his thing uh, and running the offense as he wants to? Like I don't know. I don't think any of us are going to uh, you know if I can be honest, we're probably never going to get any sort of an answer to that. Uh, I do want to, uh, I mean, the closest, yeah. the closest thing we've gotten is when Franklin, after one of those games and said he would have to get on the headset and remind Mike Yersich to run the football more. I think that's well, the closest we're ever going to get. That, that actually leads to, uh, this is a tweet from November 28th, but, uh, the Twitter account PSU analytics tweeted in Yersich's previous stops, he averaged a 49, 51 pass, to run play rate. His most pass heavy was 4753. Uh had Penn State running it 409 times in 860 plays this year, 47.5%. So they actually ran the ball more than Mike Yersich, less than Mike Yersich had in his previous stop, threw it more than he had in his previous stops. Uh, you know, again, it was that how did that conversation play out? Was that something Mike Yersich wanted to do? Was it something Mike Yersich had to do? Was it something James Franklin wanted or did more, whatever? I don't know. Uh, but I think you have to, Nick, uh, I think you have to bring Yersich under some criticism for the stuff he could control. Passing game, uh, you know, guys were getting open. Quarterback play wasn't good enough, even if Clifford did take a step forward. Running game just weren't wasn't good enough. They never seemed to figure out how to have any sort of success within their own limitations. Uh, I didn't think he always seemed totally comfortable. Like, I don't think he is the like, or didn't seem to be this season, the kind of like play calling savant with the perfect feel for the game that like Joe Moorhead has. But I also think that's a, you know, a really uh, high bar to have to clear. But at the end of the day, I think there were just so many things working against his ability to successfully coordinate this offense that when I think of a grade for Penn State's offense overall, I'm not going to give it an F because I think when you bring put everything into context, I'll put it at like a C. I, where, where do you come down if you're get, putting a letter grade on this Penn State offense, Mr. Former Teacher, and why do you land there? I, I think what I've settled in on is I'll, I'll, I'd be willing to go C plus because, you know, I, I thought the who, offense who, who was... Are, who, are, who are the kids you would give a C plus to? <laughs> do you, you want names or do you want examples? Of... I, I mean, <laughs> on one hand, there's no HIPAA for academia, but if you want... But I also <laughs> think that would probably be a really bad idea. So, like, what, what was a C plus? That was like a... You know, you know, a C, a C plus is like, yeah, I mean, it's 76, 70, but like, you know, it's not as much, you know, entry school, you don't really toss letters on it as much. If you're given number grades, you just give them the number. Um, but it's, it's like, it's like if you were writing a, uh, like write, writing some sort of writing response about something you read in a book or let's say just a writing piece, like you're writing an essay or something. And maybe you, have too many run-on sentences you don't use enough commas you you know you have like a one sentence intro you don't really have a conclusion paragraph you know like the pieces are there it it just lacks it lacks the execution necessary and i think that's what penn State's offense kind of boiled down to like we we saw the flashes of clifford pre-injury we saw flashes from Kevon lee we saw flashes of, of pass blocking we saw flashes from the tent but they just you know, they just didn't put it all together. The the necessary components seemed to be there, but the execution in the end was flawed to a degree that it was a major detriment. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing any better than that. So let's go into the last thing uh, before we wrap up this podcast. Just the biggest question that you have, as of right now, as we're doing this on uh, January 12th, 2022, what is the biggest question, Nick, that you have heading into next season? Uh, I've said my, like, I have a personnel one and I have kind of just a philosophical one. But 
for you, what is the biggest question that Penn State faces? I kind of like the format. I'm going to give you one concrete one and one philosophical one. I like that. I think philosophically, I want to ask, you know, how how much open competition is there going to be heading into next season, even among players that we perceive to be established starters? Uh, but more concrete, it uh, I don't even know what the question is. I'm just going to say offensive line question mark. Like I I'd, I'd want they it's. Like, I, I don't have a specific thing that I, like, one specific thing I need to feel like I need to ask. It's more just, like, what, it's just, like, what's the plan with the offensive line? Like, what do you, what do you want to be? What is, what does Phil Troutline perceive as what Penn State's offensive line identity should be? I think that's what he really needs to, really needs to be thinking about and building this offseason. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's the big one for me. When it comes to personnel, it's you need this offensive line to be better. How much, like, just what is this offensive line going to do? What is this offensive line going to um, turn into? Who are the guys? What's the scheme going to be? How are we going to develop them physically? New strength coach is going to be coming in after Dwight Galt retire. What is the offseason plan going to be to get these guys into a position where when they're standing on that defensive line, I offensive line, and they look across from them and they see the five stars that Ohio State has, they see the group uh, that Michigan has where guys fly around and do real physical or really physical and really aggressive and that sort of thing. And they're able to get to the quarterback and you look at Michigan State and their defensive front, which is just always so so reliable and solid in Auburn with their reliable and solid defensive front. When you look at those guys, what are you going to do against them? And how are you going to hold up against them? Or are you just going to be turnstiles and guys that get knocked over with the wind? Then the philosophical question for me, was this season in terms of how the offense functioned, do they think it was on the right path. It is on the right path right now. Or do they think they need to blow some stuff up and rebuild and do some stuff from scratch? I mean, how, it, it's kind of the old sports, you know, it's not cliche, but way of thinking of as long as your process is good, you can live with a bad outcome. Do they think their process was good this season? Or do they think everything that happened was a result of just having a really bad offensive process in the passing game, in the rushing game, in anything else. My hunch is that they're going to say that, you know, there will be little tweaks. There won't be a lot of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So I think they were going to do that by here's which one be Penn State's offensive coordinator right now. But just what's Penn State going to do? And What's Penn State going to do when they have the sample size of what we saw this season and they're going to have coming back the quarterback, a few of the running backs, all of the tight ends, a few of the wide receivers, and a bunch of dudes on the offensive line? So it's a big question for me, something that as a Penn State fan, I'm going to be thinking about for the next January, March, I think something to add, something to add to what you just, what you just said, um, I think it's also as you know, as they think about whether this offense was on the right path or not. This is also, you know, arguably the first off season that Mike Yersich has had, where he is going into, he's heading into the next season with the same school, where he truly is the one who has control of the offense. Because you know, he was the offense coordinator at Oklahoma State, but you know, Mike Gundy obviously had a huge huge amount of influence and say while he was there along the offensive side too. Ohio State, he was the passing game coordinator, not the offensive coordinator at Texas the year before. And both Ohio State and Texas, obviously he he was only there for one year each. So he didn't have kind of this offseason going into the next one. But even at Texas, he's the offensive coordinator, but he's with Tom Herman. So, you know, really offensive minded guys, head coaches that are going to be really involved. I'm curious to see just how, what he uses this offseason as because he hasn't really been in the position to do this as an offense coordinator before. So that should, that should be pretty interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I, I agree. I'm like, it's, 
I, I'm confident that even with all the turnover that Penn State's defense is going to have, it's still going to be a pretty good unit. So I think a lot's going to really come down to this offense and what it looks like next season. And this season, like, just candidly was not good enough. And it's going to be uh, – well, let's just say I'm going to be watching the blue-white game a little bit more closely than I normally do. Uh, Nick, any any final thoughts, whether it's on Penn State's offense, whether it's on – uh, Penn State football as a whole, you know, did, did you win any money on the national title game? Just anything you want to toss in here uh, to end this one. You know, it's January 12th when we're talking about looking forward to takeaways from the Blue White game. Let's go. Ah, uh, God, I, I, maybe I'll go out for the Blue White game. I, I, I do, I do miss how dumb that weekend is. Uh, neither here nor there. Uh, everyone, thank you very much for listening to this this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Of course, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. We you use Apple Podcasts. Please go and leave us a five-star review. Please keep reading and supporting the site. The best way to do that is to make sure you're going out and buying some t-shirts and make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Nick Polak, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Alex Birchmeyer, please enroll early.